on the tubes. We're live. Welcome in, everybody. Okay, now we're live. Thank you all very much for joining. I have the distinct pleasure of Matt Smith from Good Soil joining me today to discuss absolutely nothing. Nothing is going on today, Matt, right? Nothing. There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> I don't right? think so. That, that uh, yeah. you know, fire meme in the background has nothing to, to, to do with what, no. what we're going to talk about today, right? Not at all. Yeah, it's going to be super chill. It's going to be completely non-controversial or uncontroversial, whatever you want to, you know, whatever the right word is. But uh, make sure you can hear us okay on YouTube. Make sure you can see us okay on YouTube as well. Uh, we should be going right along. So how was your weekend? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I uh, initially said, yeah, sure, let's talk. It's like, let's just only talk about brisket and nothing about yeah. Elon or Tesla or Twitter or anything <laughs> at all. So no, I, yeah, I had a great yeah. weekend, had a nice holiday party and uh, then got right back to the markets opening and down 5% today. So uh, like, reality yeah. is is very strong right now. Yeah, How are you doing? for sure. I'm doing great, man. Thank you for asking. Yeah, we're um, yeah, we're just uh, hanging out. We went to a foodie fest yesterday, which was kind of underwhelming. They had to uh, delay the thing a couple months ago because of some construction. I think a lot of vendors backed out. So my wife and I just ended up going to like a local restaurant. We just walked around the block like, oh, this place is cool. And then we ended up watching football and drinking beer and eating tacos. So I think it was a pretty, pretty good day overall. Um, but yeah, the reason why I, th I think a lot of people are joining us is not to hear me talk about beer and tacos, although that's probably a pretty good podcast. We're here to talk about a lot of stuff that's uh, going on in the Tesla, Elon Musk world, specifically around sentiment and uh, some of the things that are happening around Elon Musk and um, just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. So maybe we'll start. I'll put you on the spot, Matt, because, you know. You like to uh, talk shit on Penn State from time to time, so maybe I'll uh, I'll put you on the spot here. What what are your um, what are your takeaways from the recent noise that's been surrounding Tesla stock, Elon Musk, and we'll turn into a conversation because I'm sure I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts. And as you kind of go through your thoughts on the comment section, obviously you're all welcome to throw in your two cents and start a discussion there as well. Just make sure you keep it respectful, and and the thought process as always is to just have a good open dialogue so we can all figure out how to move forward so go ahead matt what, what are you thinking yeah i mean that that's a it's a really open-ended question so uh, you know i design maybe <laughs> start off at a, at a high level and you know i'm sure we can we can dive into some of the specifics um yeah i mean it's it's been tough i mean um you know i had the there was there was the whole kind of leo koguan uh you know bod criticisms last week which i you know tweeted about and put a poll out there trying to kind of gauge sentiment because, you know, I think Leo's point of view was that, um, you know, the board of directors really, I think it's, even if you are completely support them, I think it's fair to say that they are Elon yes men and they're going to do whatever like Elon wants. And they're not really putting any sort of like, uh, you know, pressure on Elon to do anything other than, than what he wants. Um, and there's a cohort of, of investors who think that that is like by default, the obvious right thing to do. Um, and I, I generally think Elon needs to have as much control as possible, but you know, I, I do think that there's room for some criticism within there, and I'm sure we, we can get into some of the specifics around that. Um, you know, in then just so the the continued controversies over the weekend, you know, Elon <laughs> Emmett was actually at that um, uh, Chappelle and Chris Rock uh, comedy thing where, where Elon came out unexpectedly, and you know, he, he's just he is just like that meme that he posted of like flicking the tiger 
in this like he's doing yeah. that on overdrive like he's doing like the steroids of like he's bringing out the sledgehammer now and he's like finding <laughs> every tiger he can to you know to, to flick and so like I, listen i don't disagree with the vast majority of you know the 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 battles that he's picking but i think the cumulative effect is um uh, taking a lot of people <laughs> by surprise um and one last point i wanted to to put out there which um i think i have not done a good job kind of articulating is you know i think there's a lot of people saying like oh we need better like retail represent representation on the board um you know but from my perspective um the bigger problem is with institutions. Like if I'm an institution that doesn't need to buy Tesla and there's all this controversy, um, like why would I want to open myself up to, to all that criticism from people who are either offended by Elon or think that it's just, you know, too much politicization, politicization or, you know, whatever, you know, it's just easier to kind of avoid and be like, you know, we're, we'll let that story develop. We'll see where it goes. Um, you know, but I think if you did have um, some... You know, I, I think I'm jumping around a little bit here, but okay. I, I think the one thing that I think would be pretty helpful right now is just like a, a PR kind of type voice to just say, hey, rumor in China is not true because of X, Y, Z. Um, you know, what? just trying to uh, say, oh, we're going to, you know, bring the um, share buyback uh, question that a lot of people are raising. We're going to bring that to the attention of board and, and we'll have a discussion about it. You know, something. Instead, it's just been kind of radio silence. And I think total radio silence from like Tesla management and the board coupled with like, you know, Elon flicking tigers left and right. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's creating a, like a, this, this chaos where you've got the, you know, the, the, you know, dog in the burning meme, uh, the burning house meme. So um, kind of all over the board right now, but that's kind of my yeah high level overview of what's going on. Gotcha. Yeah. I, the, the thing that's most fascinating to me from this whole, from everything that's, there's just so many different, like, facets right there's so many different variables there's so many different dimensions it, it's really um it harkens back to 2016 2017 2018 a little bit where elon wasn't helping the matter <laughs> in a way by um being himself or not be you know not acting in a way that's say becoming of that role whatever that means right there is a certain perception that's that's starting to um sort of permeate uh parts of the i don't know the investing base the tesla community whatever you want to call it and uh, and i try to be an observer as much as humanly possible during these times and i'm trying to be you know obviously i have my opinions which i'm very happy to share but i'm what's what's very curious to me is that there is a dynamic that's very apparent and i think for folks that are not um uh, agreeing to this fact I, I would i would urge you to sort of look at things a little bit more clearly here there's a clear subset of the investor base that likes tesla and and seem to really like elon are not do not like what's going on with a lot of the stuff that's happening around how the company's communicating or not communicating how elon is behaving or not behaving and i'm not saying it's right or wrong Right. Mm -hmm. But there is there are voices coming up that are frustrated and are not they, they just don't they, they don't like the radio silence or whatever. That in itself tells me that there is a gap, <laughs> that there's yeah. a gap somewhere. You know, there's a gap. So that that in itself means that there's a problem that needs to be solved. It's up to Tesla and Elon and the board and whoever to decide if that's a big enough priority 
to take on given everything else that's happening in the world and or, or given everything else that's happening within the story of tesla and elon and twitter and whatever else and what it reminds me of is that there is this dynamic where i think elon and and the board and the leaders there very much approach the say the investing community and the community they've built through transparency over time and through being open and kind of you know inspiring people about the mission inspiring people about the uh the the returns that the company is going to have in the future and they are that approach was very much in the same elk that they would run the company internally which is like i'm not worried about your feelings just focus on what's important focus on what's important and the way i think about this is like okay so if you work at tesla or you are part of that culture of like let's not worry too much about feelings let's work like let's worry about what's really really important makes a lot of sense if you are creating a filter through hiring and all this stuff that you're bringing on people that are comfortable or are list saying you know what i am okay with this because i have chosen to be part of this one and two you have filtered me to make sure <laughs> that i'm right. fitting that culture right Whereas when you're a public company in Tesla and you have an investing base where literally anybody with 170 bucks now or, you know, fractional sharing on Robinhood can can buy Tesla. But then the same culture applies to the investing base. And that's where the disconnect is for me is like you can absolutely 100 percent have a cer certain culture of let's not worry about ego. Let's not worry about feelings. Let's not worry about opinions to, you know, opinions, obviously. But like, let's not worry about that stuff, that quote unquote noise. Let's just worry about first principles and physics and actions human emotions are are perhaps not a big priority or human concerns are not a, a big priority and i'm not saying that tesla doesn't care about people all i'm saying is that there's a certain culture that is very much alive in that company and it's being sort of permeated on an investor base that i think deserves a little bit more attention or tlc or just some some <laughs> i don't know just different approaches because anybody can buy tesla stock and that's yeah. why you're a public company. That's what it means, right? Yeah. Um, I, to me, that's where the disconnect is. It's like it's a it's they're trying to hammer. It's a one one type approach where they're trying to tackle everything on. And I think the the sort of time that we live in today uh, speaks to that. But it's up to them to decide if this is important or not. And this is where it's fascinating to talk to different people to, to get their differing opinions. That's where my head is at as an observer. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean. The, the the radio silence part I think too is is I think that's particularly problematic. I mean, when they were you know a much smaller company, um, you know that that sort of thing was not that big of a deal. But you know when you're one of the largest companies on earth, um, and you've got you know a huge amount of like retail investors and and the institutional investors for that matter, um, and and I think this. It didn't start back then, but the most recent example from a fundamental standpoint was like there was no communication that they were going to end the delivery wave in Q3. And in fact, they said they were going to end the delivery wave a couple quarters ago, and then they didn't. And then they like surprise, you know, ended the delivery wave without really communicating that to the investors or anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then there was this like huge gap and, the, and the, like that was like the, the kind of first domino to fall in this in this most recent, you know, drop from 300 that we've seen in the last two, three months. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, just like that, and then coupled with all the, you know, Elon done selling, and then he sells some more and Hey, are you done selling yet? And he has, he still hasn't answered that question. Um, you know, it's, we, we don't, we're not entitled to answers on everything that we ever want to hear, you know, but I think with some of these more major topics, I think it, it could 
really help investors and, and just, you know, calm some nerves in a time when macro has sucked. And you know, it's just been a tough year in general uh, for, for investors just to say, OK, here's what we're doing and why. And like we, we hear loud and clear the, the feedback from, um, you know, all the, the shareholders about, you know, X, Y and Z. And, and you know, we're going to work to address those. But there's just mm -hmm. instead, it's just nothing. So that's that to me is, is probably the, the biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah, but, I, I would agree with. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say one one of the things that has rubbed me a little bit the, the wrong way though with with you know one particular one like part of the the wing of this Tesla community though is like if you even say that which to me doesn't sound very controversial um, it's like oh like you think you know better than Elon and it's like you can't <laughs> I've been getting that a lot <laughs> I've been getting that a lot too and like the funny thing is like even just for posting a question of like hey what do you think like here's a poll what do you think and it's like oh you think you're smarter than Elon now man I'm like no, like. <laughs> First of all, no, I'm asking the question. Second of all, it's not first principles thinking to just say whatever this guy says is right. Facto. Exactly. And so so to me, that's like if you're not disagreeing with Elon on some amount of this stuff, then you're not actually doing first principles thinking. Now, maybe your first principles thinking is wrong and you're coming to some wrong conclusions on some stuff. But like we can go through the laundry list of things that Elon has been wrong about in the past. And that doesn't right. mean he's like a terrible CEO or anything. But I think that when we can't have an honest conversation about some of the stuff that Elon or Tesla has gotten wrong, that only hurts us, I think, as an investor community. So um, that's Couldn't the other thing more. that I've had, I've had some trouble with. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I, that, that chorus I've been noticing as well, it's counterproductive. It's like you've said it exactly. It goes against the, the entire premise for which the company was built on. <laughs> like literally the only reason why Tesla exists is because there were a bunch of people internally saying this is we're doing this so stupidly. Like we need to like sit down and ask ourselves a very honest question. And of course, Elon was a big part of driving that ship. But but to somehow think that the the that individual is a hundred percent wrong, a hundred percent, a hundred percent right, a hundred percent of the time is like it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. Now it's okay for people to be like, well, I I agree with a lot, or I'm I choose to not um, maybe put a lot of trust that he has a bigger picture in mind. That's okay. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. saying don't do that. And I'm not saying don't go, go out to people and tell them, oh, you, you, who are you to tell Elon what to do? You can say whatever you want. <laughs> All I'm saying is just think about the context of that statement and, and apply that to what, you, you know, that person potentially could find so great about Tesla. Which or, or the companies that Elon has is like this is literally the mentality. I was there. Like it's like this. Everybody constantly saying we're so dumb. Like we need to be less dumb. Like the guy Elon himself says this all the time. We need to be less dumb, and we could be wrong. Like us sitting down and and sharing feedback or criticism, we could be a hundred percent wrong. But at least we are voicing how we feel, <laughs> right. and I think this is very important for feedback, and it's very helpful for the company as well, right? Like, I bet you if if for some reason they come across this this podcast and, and they feel like, hey, like these two people kind of know what they're talking about or kind of understand the story, and it looks like they're sharing these things, at the very least, that's a data point they can use to say, hey, yes or no. Like with it's just data points, you know. We're adding data yeah. points to the discussion, and I think that in itself is super, super valuable. You know, um, I had a point I wanted to make before that, but I completely blanked on it. I'm sure it'll come back. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just a it's just a fascinating time. Um, the the other thing I remember now, the within the context of PR and communication and sort of what's happening in in the landscape right now with Tesla, 
I think it's important to frame this discussion around the fact that even though Elon's going to be around the company for for a, a long time in some sort of capacity, I think it becomes more and more important to seriously consider those things the less and less he becomes a percentage of the total work at Tesla. Because one of the key things here is that Elon, like it or not, Elon is the face of Tesla right now. Like when you think Tesla, you think Elon Musk, uh, I believe. And I could be wrong. And I love, I would love to hear people's opinions in the in the chat. Actually, Producer Wife, if you could throw up a poll that asks that question on YouTube, I'd, I'd, I'd love to sort of gauge how people think about the company. Is, is Elon Musk the face of Tesla? Or when you think of Tesla, do you think of Elon Musk? And the less and less that becomes true, which is 100% going to be the case here in the next, I don't know, 3, 5, 10, 20 years, however long, however long it takes, it becomes more and more important to have a mechanism that speaks to the public and the investor base that isn't 100% routed through him. It has to be done through the company. And I'm starting to already notice this in the world of Tesla with Elon bringing on all the talent, like the semi-event. It was... Uh, Dan, I think it was the gentleman's name. Great job, right? You have Drew and all these other guys, Zach and all these other people becoming more and more part of the discussion. You had that in insanely talented AI team that he brought on stage. He brought on that entire team for Neuralink, right? Uh, on SpaceX, he's got Gwen Shotwell just kind of <laughs> running the show and killing it, right? And so I wonder how much more important that variable becomes the less and less he becomes part of, of, of the entire company's survival or or how it moves into the future how how do you think about that matt yeah i mean i, I think that's right i mean you know three four definitely five years ago i you know i think elon backing off as like the the role of the ceo would definitely have been like a horrible thing but now you actually see some actual tesla investors kind of advocating for that like oh we need tom Zhu to come in here and be like the you know the ceo of of you know tesla at least automotive um and and so i think that that does become a good thing like like who in their right mind would criticize Gwen Shotwell because it's like Elon's more famous so he should run SpaceX no like Gwen is doing an amazing job and she's you know kind of the steadying force and he provides the vision and pushes the team and is still heavily involved in you know the design of the of the products you know as can be seen by the fact that you know he had his hand so so involved in starship design and choosing stainless steel which was a huge decision mm -hmm. so like i think that's what you want him in you want him to like you know generate some high level interest and awareness in the company and maybe a little bit less controversy would be fine, but you also want him to be Elon. So, um, right. you know, you don't want to, you can't, you're, even if you wanted to, you can't like put a lid on him. Um, but you know, if you have somebody running the day-to-day -day operations who can come in like at a moment like this, when the stock is on fire and you know, everybody hates him, like the right and the left, all hate Elon <laughs> and the investors and Tesla Q. Like He's winning. <laughs> Like everybody's got a bone to pick with him. And so I think if you like in that moment, like you have a, a Tom Jew or someone to, to come in and just say, hey, listen, like we've got a, you know, really strong quarter. We've got great products in the pipeline and, you know, we're going to continue to operate. We're going to continue to execute on our world class operations. Like somebody to come in with that like diplomatic uh, air, which Elon very clearly has no interest in being a diplomat. But I think with Tesla being at the scale that they are and, and with the investor base that they have. Um, I, I think that would help to um, just reassure investors during a particularly volatile time. How much of this do you think, like the way we're sort of aligned on this, is us just being quote unquote old school in our thinking and sort of like traditionally how companies have operated and that there's a new paradigm that's arriving that 
that's no longer going to be part of the equation per se. And the, ultimately what really, really matters and people will, will truly, truly not care <laughs> about how somebody's perceived. Like, how, how do you think about that? How, how do you think that this is just us maybe not understanding a, a different strategy that will be successful in the future? Yeah, I mean, it could be. And, and like, I think a fair critique of, of this whole conversation could be, you know, in 10 years, none of this will matter. Like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But, you know, there are, you know, people that are selling based on uncertainty that, you know, don't necessarily need to. And like, God forbid, what if uh, Leo Koguan gets margin called or something like that? Like, I, I have no insight into, you know, whether that's a, a possibility or not. But, you know, like, there are actual funds and investors who, you know, could, could get a portion of their shares liquidated and you're not helping them out. Now, of course you can, you can level all the criticism on them saying, you know, they put themselves in a position to be exposed and um, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that necessarily either. But um, you know, I, th I think just to say like, let volatility run amok and, you know, in 10 years we'll all be fine. It's like, all right, well, sure. But there's going to be a lot of collateral damage along the way. And, and I think that, approach on its on its own will make uh kind of institutional ownership take longer to to get hold because like why if you're a fund manager and you know i am one right now and we are getting absolutely torched by you know what's been going on right now and it's like yeah it's you your know, fault mad jesus <laughs> it's funny because like all year long we've been saying you know macro's a mess but we're focused on fundamentals and when looking at the fundamentals we're like really like happy with with the path that tesla's on and we're still getting smoked, you know, it's like, even when you've got the, the, the right, you know, mindset, I think of, you know, focusing on, um, you know, the company's execution on, on the operations and trying to, you know, limit the noise. It's like the noise is becoming the story at this point. Um, and, and I don't think that necessarily helps Tesla's mission. I mean, you've got people saying that they're not going to buy a Tesla anymore because Elon hates LGBTQ or, you know, that he hates the environment and he's like shilling for right wing politicians. And like, I don't believe any of those things, but there's definitely that perception and, I even saw this on like Jack White had a tweet that like Elon is just doing everything for the money now. So he's leaving Twitter because and it's like, no, you the vast majority of people don't know how Elon thinks like mm -hmm. they haven't read that Tim Urban post from like five years ago where he really laid out like the very, very hyper logical steps of like why he's doing all the things that he's doing with Tesla and Neuralink and SpaceX and everything. Um, so like people who've taken the time to read this like 10 hours of blog posts from Tim Urban really understand what's actually driving Elon, but everybody else thinks he's like this egomaniacal, you know, like crazy businessman. Um, and, and I think it's just hard to explain how different he is from everybody else. And so people are kind of ascribing, um, motives or attributes to him that are not his, his own. And he's not really doing, doing much to dispel them. Yeah, it's. The other part of that too, and that's a fascinating thing you brought up is, you know, if, if you go back, you know, you've been following Elon for a long time, you know, for those that are not aware, you know, we've been on the train. I started in 20, like 12, probably. When, when did you start following the story, Matt? Just out of curiosity for, for the public. Well, I applied to work there in 09, actually, uh, but never heard back. Um, but it was just kind of, you know, following. Oh, my gosh. Shame. Imagine if I'd actually had that job. That would have been crazy. <laughs> um <laughs> But um, no, so I've been kind of like following casually maybe for the next six years. And then in 2017, I really started listening to earnings calls again and uh, mm. then invested in, in early 2018. Got it. Yeah. The, the thing that's interesting to think through is that when I first got introduced to Elon and the Tesla story and all that stuff, it was very much 
a message that was centered around what ins- what's inspiring people to make a positive change in the future, right? What is, and it's very, and it was very, it seemed like it was very inclusive. Like it was just like this big hug around humanity that said, we need to do this. All there was, we're all dead, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, 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 and the percentage of the population that was getting exposed to that was very, very small, you know? And, and then it, it continued to grow and it continued to grow and it continued to grow. And what's interesting to think about is that as, as Tesla, Elon Musk, Twitter, I think it's fair to say now that this whole thing is mainstream. I think it's fair. Mm-hmm. If I go around and talk to random people, uh, basically everybody knows who Elon Musk is. Most people couldn't care. You know, they, they're not nearly as invested in the sort of things that we are invested in, which is another angle that I want to explore. But it seems like the the type of things that people could be introduced to when it comes to the story of Elon Musk or his companies, there's a lot more <laughs> things to choose from and pick from than the initial sort of period in from 20, 2009 through, I don't know, 2014. And then when the, you know, the call it the FUD year started, it sort of started shifting a little bit. I wonder how much of that is really impacting the, the perception of Elon Musk, the, the perception of the stock, the potential hit on demand. And if we are potentially blowing a lot of this out of proportion, because most people just don't really care that much right and that's one thing i want to i want to think through because i try to apply pareto to everything and pareto for those that are not familiar it's the 80 20 rule you know 80 percent of the time you know it's 80 it's an 80 20 rule and so what i what i the way i think about it here is the 20 percent is going to be the the extremes opposite extremes of what we think about elon musk one set of the 10 percent is super supportive of elon musk will back most if not all of his ventures We'll definitely buy Tesla, uh, especially if we can afford it. You know, all the positive things. And that is one bubble. And I'm in that bubble. And I would argue that you're probably in that bubble too. Whatever, however you want to define that bubble. And most of the people listening to this conversation are in that bubble. And I'm not saying it's positive or negative. I'm just saying there's a circle. And then on the opposite side, on the other 10%, you have people that are invested in not liking Elon Musk. They're invested in never buying a Tesla. And they're invested in speaking out against the perceived or real harm he's doing to society, right? And those people are the other ten percent. The middle eighty percent don't give a shit, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. "How how can I buy something that's going to make me happy? I I have these hobbies and interests that are completely unrelated to whatever these crazy people on either side are thinking about. I just want something that makes me happy." And I wonder how much of that will turn out to be the dominating story for the stock potentially if that if that is true where the opposite 10% don't really matter within that context it's just it's just the thing that that turns out and that all hinges in ensuring that you create an incredible product that most people love and the parallel i draw is amazon and jeff bezos i ran a poll not too long ago on twitter and the, a lot of people dislike jeff bezos but literally everybody uses Amazon. <laughs> so I wonder yeah. if that's the that's the new dynamic now. And that's that's what it's gonna become. How how do you think about that? I'm curious to hear your yeah. thought process and whatever else. Yeah. I, I mean I agree with you. I, like, I, I would think of the people who are potential Tesla car purchasers, how many of them would change their behavior either to not buy a car or to buy one um, because of 
their you know affiliation or uh, ha- hatred of his point of view on anything. Um, like I think that's that's going to be a rounding error. <laughs> um, so like I, I think you're right. The you know the the middle swath of of uh, the the buying public is going to be like, oh yeah, that guy who paid too much for Twitter or something or in. Um, you know, whatever nugget they've heard before and they kind of like half remember the story, like, yeah, sure. Like, but it's butts and seats. Like it, it still really is about the driving experience of the car. Like that's, that's really, I believe what matters more than anything. Um, so yeah, like I, to me, it's not really a demand issue. That's like, that's why I really have been saying all year, like fundamentals, even as, as much chaos as, as he's kind of, you know, unleashing on the, the social media world and everything right now, I don't think it really changes much on, on the Tesla demand side. Um, it probably a little bit at the fringes, like you said. Um, but like for all the, like most of the commentary I've seen is like, you know, Elon's up, upsetting all the, the Democrats and they're, I forget what the numbers are, like 70% of the Tesla car buying public or something like that. So he's like killing his own brand. Well, he's probably also ingratiating himself to people who have not been historic buyers of Teslas. And so that offsets somewhat, I would think, you know, if it, whatever sliver of both sides, you know, either, you know, like or dislike what he's saying and will change their buying behavior. Like to me, that's like it, it, it's not um, it, it doesn't rise to the level of changing the fundamentals of the business, I don't think. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the the more damage I think is done on the the kind of stock price movement and you know lack of communication and, and that sort of thing. But in terms mm-hmm. of fundamentals, like I think those are still really strong. And we can talk about China and you know macro and those are like legitimate issues. But I don't think uh, I think those are like ten x or more uh, the impact of like Elon be, being overly political. Got it. So so do you view this sort of? Um perception time that we're in right now do you think that's a short term medium term long term what are the yeah like I, i'm assuming you're thinking about it as a hopefully like I'm, I'm guessing what your heart's telling you is hopefully this is not a thing that's really going to impact the man which is where i'm at too and uh, over time the fundamentals will just show themselves especially in a bull market and where there's a more friendly environment for rates from the fed right is that how you're thinking about it yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm a lot more concerned with you know does the fed kill the economy for the next you know 18 months because you know if interest rates are seven percent then car loans are going to be a lot more expensive and tesla is going to have to drive down prices um not to mention you know the the collateral damage of you know higher unemployment and you know people not having as as much you know wealth in their savings accounts to uh you know to buy a, a $80,000 $80,000 car. So yeah, I mean, those are the things that I think are way more uncertain and potentially a lot more impactful than, you know, Elon's commentary right now. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do think that this is short term. Like I think if we, I think whatever happens with this noise, I, I think what's really going to drive the, the stock price, let's say you and I are talking a, a year from now is going to be how have the, the next four quarters of, of financials looked? I mean, are they able to maintain some some margin or some, yeah, some margin power, some pricing power? Are they able to continue to sell as many vehicles as, as they are producing? I mean, that's one of the concerns that I see creeping in now on the fundamental side is, um, you know, with with demand you know, seeming to show some signs of weakness. I would argue it's actually intentional because they didn't want to have a six month backlog. This was like, this was so known to be like, they raised their prices $20,000 in like, you know, a year. Of course, that's going to lower your demand. And, but that like, that's what he said back in Q2 is that we want to shorten lead times. 
and they've done that now. So the, then mm -hmm. the question becomes, where's that new equilibrium between supply and demand? So that's a that's a legitimate question. I think we don't know the answer to that yet, um, but I think it's going to be enough to kind of support the, the product output of all four factories at decent margins. Um, but you, a, a year from now, we're going to have the answers to all those questions and be like, oh yeah, they actually you know could sell 2.2 million units in 23 or whatever, whatever the number ends up being and you know generate earnings above or below whatever Wall Street thinks right now. Like that's going to be what's way more important uh, to the. I think that's near-term stock price, well, medium-term maybe, um, you know, than any of this noise right now. Mm -hmm. How do you view, um, I've been thinking through this a little bit. So like we talked, we spent the last 30 minutes, which felt like five minutes talking about most of it, the, the Elon Musk perception, right? But I think there's also a separate variable as well. And we'll get into like the long-term stuff too, like like the like the um, fundamentals and things. But then the other variable that I'm thinking through as well is like Twitter itself as a business that's a, uh, <laughs> I almost don't want to say overhang because people are just going to be like, there is no Twitter overhang. But <laughs> And uh, some people will say there is. And how that business itself could drag down the Tesla story what what I'm seeing is there are some variables that are coming up that it seems like the type of um, the amount of attention, sorry, the amount of partners that Tesla would have from an ad perspective, like people just spending ads on Twitter and are buying ads on Twitter and companies coming and being part of that with with Apple now, you know, continuing to be part of it. Apparently, Amazon's part of that discussion now and you have uh the cost cleanup call it that elon musk has done on the company from a uh, organization perspective laying off a bunch of workers you know my, my gut tells me is that that company is probably going to have 50 percent or less cost than it did before he took over and then you think about it within an environment of the ad revenue really not going away nearly as much as people thought plus this eight dollar a month blue check mark there's an opportunity for twitter here to be financially stable very very quickly and like my gut tells me sometime in, in the middle of next quarter, potentially, that uh, could be a, a catalyst for for Tesla because it, you know, it removes the worry of that business being a, a actual long term impact to Elon's ability to focus on on Tesla, let's say. Uh, how do you how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, like, because one of the concerns that are still that's still out there is. Is he going to have to continue to sell shares to fund the negative cash flow of the business, plus the uh, pretty burdensome debt loads that, that he added on for the acquisition? Um, you know, I think people who've done the math think that's, you know, even if he did have to theoretically sell a little bit more, I mean, it'd be a drop in the bucket. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, there was uh, maybe six months ago or something, somebody posted, um, it was Aswath Demidoran, I think actually, who's this amazing valuation professor out of NYU, been following him for a long time, just great stuff. But he posted this like bar chart of Tesla's revenue or Tesla of Twitter's revenue and like operating expenses over time. And they had this like perfect hockey stick growth of, of revenue, but they also grew their expenses exponentially. Just like, <laughs> like they actually outpaced their revenue growth. Like you had this perfect revenue growth opportunity in a software company where of course there's operating leverage and instead you like gave wine to your employees and had yoga rooms and stuff just Hell like yeah. $400 lunches <laughs> it, it's like it's so infuriating to me that like you've got this like just perfect platform to generate operating leverage and, and really free cash flow and you just burden the hell out of the business with a bunch of 
you know, expenses and perks and way more employees than you actually need to do anything. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Elon's like cutting out a decade's worth of fat. Um, and you know, like, I, and I don't mean to depersonalize this. Like I, I have been probably guilty of being a little bit too, uh, critical of, of the previous Twitter employees. Um, and I don't know them and it's not, it's not really fair to, to be like rejoicing when people are losing their jobs. So I don't want to, you know, dehumanize it too much. But I do think from just a, a pure, you know, a business standpoint, like they something had to be done or that business would go bankrupt. Like you can't have expenses higher than revenue indefinitely. Like that just that just doesn't work. So, um, you know, I think he's doing things that he needs to do for the long term sustainability of the business. And I, and I agree with you. I think it's going to be a relatively short amount of time. Um, he's like the changes that he's making at Twitter are already coming really fast. And I think they are generally speaking um improvements that are making the, the overall user experience a lot better. Um, so I think that's going to continue. I think, you know, the advertisers are going to come back and, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's, you know, we get some tweet from Elon saying like, Oh, we've reached free cash flow positive for Q1, like you were suggesting or something like that. So, mm -hmm. and, and I think that can be a, a boost to, to Tesla in an indirect way, or, you know, at least removes one of the, you know, like sort of Damocles over, over Tesla's share price right now. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. I think the in respects to Twitter itself is it's more a reflection of leadership than a reflection of the employees that you know, mm -hmm. most of the people that were let go couldn't make change, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, sure. yeah. And they were the, the byproduct of probably three or four really bad leaders who don't know who are just they weren't interested in making the business the best version of itself. And then everybody else suffered because of it. And so putting blame on Elon for that is completely not fair to Elon, yeah. to be completely no, honest. Right. But it's also not fair to everybody who lost their jobs. It's just yeah. it's just a sucky situation. But I think it's important to put, as somebody who's been uh, part of building businesses, it's the leader's fault. It's that's why it yeah. happens. The leaders don't care enough to ensure that the business will be successful long term, or maybe they do care enough, but they just don't know how to do it. Right. So I don't want to like attack their um, their uh, humanness. Right. Maybe they just yeah. didn't have the ability to do so. So that's that's a that's a I just want to make sure that's clear. And uh, yeah, I, I do think I really do think that's going to set a an example. It's going to re remind, I think, folks that might be a little bit concerned about the ability for Elon Musk to execute as a business leader. I think it's going to be a, a very big reminder that says if there's one thing the guy does extremely well is execute. Is execute business. It's execute engineering. And he's extremely capable of finding opportunities that uh, are world-changing that can be done today that a lot of people would not be willing to risk because it's going to suck really bad or it's going to attract a lot of attention or it's just they don't want to do it because like who's crazy enough hard amount of work yeah, right exactly like, like yeah like exactly. Who, i definitely yeah. get the impression like jack didn't want to like have i forget how, how elon exactly worded it but like extreme levels of hard work or something like that um, and like, that's kind of what you need, you know, to, to, to make the changes that they need to, to make right now. Now you can yeah. argue about whether that's, you know, sustainable in the long term or, or not, but, um, I mean, Jack himself even admitted that he hired too many people too fast. And so he, he apologized and ultimately sure. like those people who lost their jobs, it's way more on Jack's shoulders in my mind than on, than on Elon's, you know, the, the one who hired people that he couldn't actually afford versus the one who finally did took the hard medicine to, to get rid of, of all the waste. Um, 
like it's pretty clear to me that that was you know the the, the right move and that you know Jack is more at fault for the the kind of hot mess that Twitter had become uh, than, than Elon who came in and is you know taking all the flack for it. Like you never see anybody criticizing Jack for all the stuff that's coming out on the Twitter files or you know the, the Twitter what. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you haven't heard. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you there. Sorry. No, uh, no. I mean, I was yeah. I was wrapping it up. I mean, it's just yeah. like Jack has is a much better lightning rod, I think, of of actual blame than Elon is, who is the one who's who's taking all the blame. So uh, it's yeah. just it's a little frustrating. But props to Jack. Though. I mean, he did come forward and said, "Hey, this is my fault." He he, he had a tweet that said, "This is my fault." Yeah. You know. So that that to me tells me that he has great character and he's a good human being and people That's make true. mistakes all the time. But you know? it, and the at the same time he's you know coming out and saying oh this is false with regard to the you know like child exploitation tweets that Elon is you know putting out there he's like Elon's like no this is not false like you know the, this employee right here was requesting funding to you know combat you know child pornography on your platform essentially and you mm. guys didn't give them the funding meanwhile like all the you know right wing um commentators that are you know being driven off the platform in violation of twitter's own rules it's like like the prioritization like regardless of like whether you think the right-wing people should or should not have been taken off the fact that it was prioritized over child exploitation like that's the, that's like the horrible yeah. thing and my like that's the smoking gun of, of this whole thing like but yeah. like it's this point seems to get lost on like all the mainstream media and, and everything I agree. That's it's it's a perfect example that says this is why delegation is so freaking hard. It's so yeah. hard to delegate. You know, like it, I I don't think it's a secret that Jack wasn't involved with Twitter very much, if at all, towards especially towards the the end of the transaction. I mean, he was he was removed the CEO, right? Or he you know he I don't know if removed, but he left and yeah. he he put in place Parag and uh, that leadership group, and then that's just it, it took a life of its own. So it's a uh, and, and this is like the parallel I draw between Twitter and like, say, uh, a Tesla scenario or, or SpaceX is like there is a good way of delegating and there is a bad way of delegating. And I think SpaceX is a perfect example of what it looks like to be a masterful delegator. And Twitter is a horrific example of what it means to be a delegator. Right. So like that's and, and, and those two are 100 percent based on a leader that is willing to build out a uh, leadership group that's going to move forward the culture and it's going to move forward the mission of the company uh, even without that leader existing. And part of that is what gives me a lot of hope that in say that the, the medium term, I don't know, next three to six months, places like Tesla and Twitter specifically are going to be at a point, in my opinion, where we're going to have and this is me just maybe wishful thinking and being way too optimistic, where we can have both the best of both worlds. And what I mean by that is you have a Tesla and Twitter company that are moving their missions forward, are making a giant difference in the world. Everybody who works there is 100% bought into the mission. They're creating incredible products. They're serving their investors really, really well. And Elon is Elon. Like, can those two worlds exist, do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think this is going to die down people like one thing that's become pretty apparent to me over the last five years, 10 years is like, people love to kind of go from car crash to car crash and like, look at it and then move on to the next thing. And, you know, even like some of the, the cancel culture stuff that was really popular a couple of years ago is like, 
they just getting people to apologize and then like, oh, the next person, the next person, like, I don't know, like Alec Baldwin killed somebody. I'm pretty sure like people are going to go see his movies again one day. Like, I, I haven't been following that too closely. Like I, I, and I have no idea who's at fault in that, but I, I just have a feeling that in like three years, nobody's going to really care that much or it'll be like, oh yeah, like there was that thing. And, and so I think um, something similar will, will pan out here where, you know, like Elon, he'll probably tone it down a little bit. Cause like even by his like, standards which are to be like particularly divisive this has been a like amplification from his normal levels of of you know divisiveness i think um but mm -hmm. i think that's because he's stepping into a total disaster of, of like this twitter situation and he's finding stuff that you know seemed like it was pretty apparent that there was some shady stuff going down at twitter and now he's like oh yep sure it was and here's like exactly what happened and like, of course, that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers, but we're not going to be having these same sort of revelations six, 12 months from now. And people will lose interest because they always do. And and I think we'll just get back to focusing on, on you know, the fundamentals of the business. So, um, yeah, this I mean, this has been a rough time, but I don't think anything about this is fundamental or sticky or, or you know, will be something that we're really talking about in a year. Do you think this would be getting nearly as much attention from, say, us? And everybody else who's doing this, if we were in a bull market, yeah, I, this is something I was thinking about recently. Yeah, so let's just say for hypothetical purposes that Tesla was still at like the three hundred level. It's just been like flat for the last couple months. For sure, we wouldn't care. Like, oh, there's Elon sticking it to the man again. All right, Elon. But like, because everybody's hurting here so much, it's like, oh gosh, Elon, do you have to? You know, <laughs> we're we're certainly um overly emotionalizing it based on the short-term stock price I, I think that it's I, I i struggle to see anybody kind of say no that's not happening um because it is emotional it is you know hard and you know especially like in in Emmett and my shoes where we're, we're managing people's people's money i think it's a lot harder for for money managers too who have you know performance that is is taking a hit from sticking with this uh with this company and with this guy who we believe in but is you know doing things that are really hurting in the short term yeah. Do you do you think he has a fiduciary duty to not be so outspoken? And this is probably a loaded question, but I'm happy to give you my take too. Like, how do you view that? Well, I mean, like the fiduciary duty is a very um, like strict legal requirement, and so it, it, from a from a you know legalistic standpoint, no, he doesn't have a do, uh, a duty to not be controversial. Uh, you know, he has a duty to not like materially hurt the you know the the stock by acting in his own self-interest or something like that. And I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know exactly what the red lines are, but he's clearly not stepping on them. Otherwise he'd be, you know, like prosecuted. Um, so like, you know, I think he could do a better job of, of trying to act in his shareholders interests. Um, you know, and I think the, the selling on Tesla just in those huge blocks, like Gary's had some great commentary about how, the way that he went about those sales was done in a way that really hurt the stock price. And so he, he like, I don't understand why he didn't, you know, try to do like a, a pipe transaction with that or like something that was, um, you know, you could do in like big blocks to private buyers, you know, in a way that didn't just like tank the stock 20 bucks in like an hour. Like it was very apparent with the way that he sold on those, those days that he was selling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, He's done some things that I think were not uh, in the in the best interest of, of shareholders. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, what's, what's your take? You've clearly thought about this too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, by the way, shout out to the 1,072 people on YouTube, a little over 250 on Spaces. Thank you all very much for joining us today. Um, yeah, I mean, the way, the way I think about it is that 
the Elon is a disruptor first and foremost, and he's proven that multiple times. And so what's happening now is that he is entering a stage of his life, a stage of his career, where the things that he's looking to disrupt are not just engineering challenges, but like social. They are much more public facing. And <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. It's very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> but that's that's what that's how true innovation and disruption feels like, right? Mm -hmm. The question becomes, is this um, a is this on purpose or is this an action that is truly going to jeopardize the company? Or is this just a phase that is quote unquote needed? to be able to reach the next stage of whatever the individual is trying to build. And I think that is what's so confusing about this whole thing because it's not clear that that's the case. Whereas I think in the past, Elon was very good at making that as a clear, as a clear thing to be part of the future. So if I'm going to draw a parallel, the current Twitter landscape, the media landscape, the free speech landscape is like is legacy auto. And Elon's like, hammer, boom, here comes Tesla. And Tesla is how he's approaching all this stuff, right? And again, this could be me giving him way too much credit <laughs> in how he approaches problem solving. But part of me wonders like, okay, so maybe that's what it is. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's where he's, um, you know, people ha have been um, very critical of him in the past and how he approaches some things that he's building. And because he's in a completely different environment, that could very much be be the case is that we're just not we're not used to that kind of person but at the same time i do think that there are there are some obvious missteps <laughs> that he that he makes from time to time specifically tied to communication that are just not that it's a hundred percent avoidable and one of the things one of the i like to throw back on on elon is like he always says you know the best part is no part right you know, the best process is no process. The, be the best noise is no noise. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <fair laughs> so point. like, bro, come on, let's, how about you take your own advice from time to time? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but again, I, I think it's a reminder that, that we're all human. I think there's another piece of it too, you know, and I, I may have been guilty of this and it might, I might still be guilty of this, you know, to this day is that Elon's a very aspirational fig figure. He's somebody that a lot of people look up to. He's somebody that has changed the game in so many different ways that people can't be helped but be drawn to that person. And sometimes when that person doesn't act in, in, in like what, what fits your moral sort of standing and you have some dissonance and, conf and, and confliction, if that's even a word, there's two things that happen. You either lean in harder into, yes, this is totally what's, what he means, or you're like just completely distraught because this person that you had such high hopes for is um, not acting in a way that's befitting of what you had in mind for that person. And I think that's another part of it too. And ultimately, it's like the dude's just, I, th I think it just comes down to, do you trust the individual or not? And for me, I think he has a track record of trust. I think he has a track record of execution, but he's clearly not perfect. And so I try to put all of this within that lens. And when I think about fiduciary duty, I look at it that way. It's like the dude's trying. He's trying, yeah. and it's okay for him to come out and say his opinions. The question becomes, is that a big enough impact to how his businesses sort of uh, operate that it's going to derail it and really hurt investors? And I don't think that's the case. I just think he's yeah. ruffling a lot of feathers that that are like, why are you ruffling them? But you ruffling them 
doesn't I think impact the long term potential of the of the things that you're allowing the people to invest yeah. in. But like the question still stands up. But like why? <laughs> well, I think, I think like all of his behavior recently, I think is is actually really consistent with um, all of his choices. Even going back to like founding SpaceX and Tesla, like the reason that he he founded the, these companies to begin with because was because they were you know existential threats to humanity you know like having like a backup copy plus of, of civilization on mars and being multi-planetary to ensure our, our long-term civilization like that's why he started spacex like it wasn't to make money nobody thought you would make money with a rocket startup in 06 or whenever they were founded um you know much less an electric car company and but you know he did that because he really believed in the importance of you know sustainable energy generation and transportation um, so like the reason, like now that they're successful and, you know, Tesla's generating a lot of cash flow, I think like the narrative has switched a little bit where people are like, oh, like, yeah, like he's just like a businessman and he should really like, you know, stick to that. But in my mind, it's like, no, like he's still trying to solve like existential threats to humanity. And it's like free speech is one, you know, the whole woke mind virus thing. Now, a lot of, a lot more people disagree with him that those are like actual threats to civilization and to humanity. But the the logic is just as applicable in my mind of like following like, oh yeah, I am going to pick these fights because nobody else is doing it. Like the media is just getting worse and worse. Like objectively, I'm pretty sure nobody trusts the media anymore. So like you've got yeah. that, you know, um, I forget what what do they call it? Like the the fourth branch of government, or there's, there's some there's some term like that where you know, like the the thing that was supposed to keep government power in check is no longer functioning, and so like we need some alternative way to do it now in the in the 21st century. Um, and you've got checks and balances. You know, yeah, well, yeah, there there was a different phrase I was um, okay trying to think of, but you know, my, my recall is <laughs> impaired <laughs> by my lack of sleep with all the kids. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the best uh, controversy is no controversy. Somebody said the best tweet is no tweet. And Elon clearly believes that the the best, uh, you know, um, oh, gosh. Oh, my brain is going out at the worst possible time. The, the, <laughs> the worst birth control is no birth control. That's, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't even say that. I totally botched it. Sorry about that. Um, it's all good. But anyway, I, like, he's clearly, like, focused on trying to solve these problems and, like, SpaceX and Tesla are doing relatively well now. And so he, now he's trying to turn his attention toward Twitter to really improve the quality of public discourse so that we can talk about, um, you know, things like the whatever the next coronavirus is. And he's clearly being very critical of, of Fauci right now because he didn't like the way that that was handled by the media and by Twitter in particular. And so, you know, I think like people are saying, oh, he's picking fights with all these like distinguished people and everything. And I think that's very intentional. And I think he's doing it. Um, not in any sort of like change of behavior or change of mindset. In my mind, it's actually entirely consistent with the way that he's been doing things for the, for the last yeah. two decades. I agree. I agree with you there. I think I think it's definitely consistent in focus. the The execution of, of that focus within the within the realm of public perception, I think, is what's causing a lot of the 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 sort of issues and and pain that people are feeling but i agree 100 percent with you and, and what's fascinating like put it within the timeline of like tesla what is tesla's uh, original mission statement to advance the advent of sustainable transport it's not to ensure that tesla is the most profitable company in the world right and so like yeah. when i view it from that perspective okay so technically 
technically one could argue that the mission statement of that company is complete. We are, we have, we have Tesla has officially uh, advanced the advent of sustainable transport, uh, energy generation, st- still work in progress. In later. So that, yeah. that wasn't the original though, right? Like exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I wonder how much of that, and again, this is me maybe playing like incredibly amateur psychologist who doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. But like, I, I wonder if some of that is in his head, he's like, to your, exactly to your point, I, I, this, is, this is now built. Yes, we still have to build some things in, in, in the middle here to ensure that the management team at the company and the leadership is built correctly so that it doesn't fizzle out and we, and we, uh, and we still ensure that the, our, our public investors, the people that have invested money in the company to ensure you know, th- that it survives and that they're betting that this is going to be a really, really successful thing in the future. We got to make sure we don't um, you know, mess them, you know, screw them over. But like my focus here, my mission is complete. So now being that person, and again, this is me trying to get into Elon's head, me being the person that I am, who I know that I'm attracted to big ideas and big things that I'm trying to solve. And I, you know, I feel like I can really go in and make a huge difference. I'm going to try to be as helpful as humanly possible to society. So I'm going to tackle the next existential thing, which, you know, he mentioned, uh, recently on Twitter and you, and you mentioned the woke man mind virus or, you know, freedom of speech or whatever that is. And these are giant social issues. Um, but at the same time, within the same token, he has made it very clear that he's looking to hire somebody to head that effort at Twitter, to head that, you know, to get that CEO or leader that's going to be in charge of Twitter to move it forward. And that could happen as early as, I don't know, maybe next quarter or maybe two years, who knows how long it could take. But what my gut tells me is that once Twitter is profitable, which I really think it's going to be sooner than a lot of people expect, I think that's when that lever gets pulled. He removes himself, you know, I hope as the head and the face of Twitter, they allow somebody else to come in and really be the face and 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 the and the person that's really driving the, the ship for that company. And maybe at the same time, something similar happens at Tesla where he starts putting these leaders in place that are championing different um, segments of the company. So we talked about Tom Zhu, who's the, um, he's the leader currently in China of basically China Automotive. You know, the rumor is that he might be next CEO. I don't really think that's the case. He's going to be probably head of auto. And then you put him in place. You got, uh, uh, I forget the gentleman's name in the AI, uh, Kashok? Hashok? I'm so oh, sorry. Ashok. I forget. Yeah. Ashok, yeah. Thank you. He's leader of AI. Get, put in a different person for energy. You know, get your subdivision set up. And yet Elon is still, say, president, CEO or whatever. Same thing in SpaceX. But then you start becoming less and less the public face, uh, per se, of these giant companies. But you still throw your hat in the ring for all the different things that you have been. But at least you're maximizing the chances of people not viewing your thoughts and your opinions as a, an attack vector for the companies that you've built. Yeah. Unless you really want that to be the case, which I, you know, it it is it is what it is. If it is, but I don't think that makes a lot of sense from an adoption perspective. So that's that's where my head is at with that. Um, do you have any thoughts there? At yeah, all? I mean. Like he's still, if he's brought up on stage somewhere, he's still introduced or or in most people's mind, he's the CEO of Tesla. Like that of all of his titles and things that he's done, you know, that's the one that I think gets the most attention. So, you know, if he had a different person kind of wearing that title and 
he was, you know, going out and doing his, you know, things like, you know, kind of like Bezos did when he stepped off from Amazon, obviously Bill Gates, like people like Bill Gates is doing all sorts of stuff that people don't like. I don't have an opinion on it. Um, but like, nobody thinks that like his controversies that he may or may not get into impacts Microsoft right now. So I think if, if Elon was to be a little bit more removed, um, then that would create some sort of shielding for Tesla. Um, but I, I kind of agree with you. I don't, I don't think that's coming at least soon. I, you know, I think Tom, Tom Ju, Ju, I get, I get a little confused. Cause like, I want to go, I want, I want to go into my Mandarin pronunciation, Tom Ju, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> um, Show off. <laughs> otherwise it's like Tom, the Jew, it kind of sounds like I'm saying, <laughs> Tom Jew, Jew. I don't know. I, I never know like how Americanized to go with it anyway. Um, like, I, I don't think it would make sense for him to step in as like CEO and, and all of a sudden have, you know, like, um, Zach Kirkhorn reporting to, to Tom, like to me, that doesn't make any sense. So I, I think mm -hmm. Elon will, will stay there, but maybe that becomes clear that, okay, you know, Tom's going to have increased responsibility going forward. And then, you know, in, in a year or two, like he'll have more exposure, be on the earnings calls, like see a little bit more of like the top tier management kind of stuff that Elon is doing. And Elon clearly doesn't want to do that stuff. Like Elon does not like, you know, all the the managerial stuff that goes along with being a CEO. So maybe you groom him to take over in a couple of years, but I, I agree with you. It's not, it's not right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting time. And, and I want to be hundred percent clear. I don't want, I don't want Elon to stop working on what he's great at and what he has openly said he wants to work on, which is engineering and design yeah. and making cool shit. Please do that for the rest of your life. If you can like, and, and I'm not, and I'm not saying stop that. All I'm saying is the, from, from the, from a first principle standpoint of maximizing the chance and the adoption of set technologies, it probably makes the most sense to reduce as much risk that could impact the ability to ensure that those things are entrenched. That's all I'm saying, right? And if and if that means that uh, his public perce perception is actually somewhat impacting that, then it's just analyze it and then decide, you know. And then and then again, maybe with the equations like, well, it's not a big enough impact, so it's not a big enough priority for me. Okay, cool, whatever. Like it is what it is, you know. And and we just have to figure out how to navigate through that to that standing. So um, let's shift to maybe uh, Q4 a little bit, uh, if right. if unless you have any other thoughts around, because I mean, this is. I, we could keep talking about this for the whole podcast, but I feel like there's other things <laughs> that we might want to hit. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts before we talk about Q4 a little bit? No, I mean, we, you know, we could probably keep going down more and more controversial topics and alienate half the, Let's get demonetized. Half the audience. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, um, no, so I'm happy to move on to fundamentals in Q4 and, and all that stuff. Sure. So uh, yeah. What, what are you thinking? Q4 fundamentals. What's, what's front of mind? Yeah, I mean, the biggest question in my mind right now is is deliveries. Um, you know, I'd been I'd been kind of thinking four hundred fifty thousand all along. Uh, you know, Troy started off the the quarter at four hundred, which was like, well, that doesn't seem right. But um, you know, I appreciated his his willingness to kind of think from first principles. You know, but now he's back up to four thirty, and but like, there's all these these um, demand concerns, especially in China. But you know, the numbers so far, I think, have been relatively healthy. Um, so I think it's going to be a pretty strong quarter. I mean, ultimately I think it's going to come down to, um, you know, production and, and how significantly the wave ends in Q4, 
you know, is it, is it going to be like a, a hard drop and there's like a, a 50,000 unit Delta between production and deliveries? I think if that's the case, that's going to really hurt the stock because there will be the comment, the, the easy commentary is just going to be, uh, yeah, there's not enough demand. And so Tesla's building supply into a demand shortage. And so 2023 is going to be, you know, a train wreck. Um, even if they, the real answer is just that, you know, it's, it's optimizing for cost and, uh, maybe even a little bit of, um, trying to play the the IRA game a little bit, at least here in the United States. So I'm not sure where it's going to land in here. You know, I think if I had to guess right now, I'd, I'd say I'm probably leaning towards like, you know, 440,000 deliveries somewhere in that neighborhood. But uh, my confidence, I guess, is, is a little bit low. Uh, but from yeah, we can go into all the other items below the line, but that's kind of the one that jumps out right now. What are you, what are you thinking in terms of where we go? Yeah, I was, I was at 450 myself. I was at 450 myself and... Part of me still says that's achievable um, only because, uh, I don't know, like literally it's just gut feel. It's it, There's not scientific, which is the worst way to approach it. So I'm probably going to apply like a 5 to 10% uh, Farzad is way too bullish factor on it <laughs> and then uh, reduce it by by that number, which is going to land us at somewhere between 430, call it. So 4, 420 to 440 is probably the, the, the realistic range. The, the one thing I'm tracking and I'm trying to track and I'm having a tough time sort of thinking through is Elon has come out and spoken about the Fed is making a mistake by raising rates because there's basically deflation everywhere. And I feel like the that signal wouldn't have come up unless he's seeing that firsthand in the supply chain. So what that tells me is I wonder I wonder how much of the Q4 quote unquote, it's going to be epic, the performance that Elon talked about at, I think the Q3 earnings call. Yeah, that was it Q3. Is, yeah. It is that variable that the the margins are going to just surprise a lot to the upside because of, of that realization in supply chain savings, which is going to offset some of the price cuts that have happened recently. Uh, and I don't think, when is the last time the U.S did a price cut. I don't think they haven't done a price cut yet, right? It was just in China, if I remember correctly. Um, I thought I thought I read something about like a less than $1,000 uh, incentive if, if there was delivered before year end, but I, that yeah. could have just been a rumor. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, in the US, I think that it's not been substantial for sure. So you yeah. still do have the benefit of these these really high ASPs, um, right. which, which frankly didn't make their way into the Q3 financials as much as I was expecting. Um, you know, I was expecting a pretty big increase in, in ASPs just based on the, um, you know, how, how significant the, uh, price increases were that we've seen that so far this year. Uh, but they, they really didn't move up as much as the, the price increases would have suggested. So either the mix has really strongly shifted toward the lower end vehicles, or it's possible that more of the higher price vehicles are going to be delivered in Q4, in which case to your point, like that could be really nice, you know, kind of margin news for Q4, especially if you're kind of coupling that with some supply chain easing, like you were suggesting. Um, so, so that's, that's certainly possible. Um, but I, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking of like interest rates are directly related to the, the monthly payment that somebody can afford to make on, on a vehicle. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot like you know mortgages in, the, in that way. So um, you know it certainly does hurt uh, vehicle demand when interest rates go from like what was a car loan interest rate like 
2.75% a couple years ago. 3% max. Yeah, something, yeah. something like that. What And it, now it's probably like six and a half, something like that, I would think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, I think that doesn't completely kill demand, but if it goes to 10, I mean, that really makes the monthly payment a lot higher and coupling that with a potential recession and people losing jobs and, um, you know, savings taking a hit like we talked about earlier. Um, all those things, I think, are uh, potential demand concerns, um, even if the underlying strength of like the operating leverage of the company and, and the margins that they're seeing from their you know supply chain efficiencies, um, I think I think I agree with you that those are probably Im- improving right now. Um, but you know, it's do those do those trends offset each other a little bit? Yeah, I also think too is if there was a serious demand issue i feel like the the prices would have been cut into a lot more than they have as of late unless mm-hmm. unless the thought process is you know they're talking about undoing the delivery wave which means building up inventory everywhere unless the thought process here is because we're building up so much inventory everywhere we're going to wait until say q1 to come around then we're going to do a one time price cut and then it's just going to deplete the inventory and then we're back to square one, <laughs> yeah. you know, having to do delivery waves again. So th- those are like variables that I'm thinking through as well. The the demand issue, though, and I, I'd love for you to, you know, see if you can challenge me on this, because I'm still struggling to really buy into the fact that demand is going to be really an issue whatsoever, in and in even in a very heavily recessionary environment. Um so the way I'm thinking about it is 97% of the fleet in the United, in the in the world is still gas cars. There's still a significant number of vehicles out there across the world that are within the the call it the 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 segment that Tesla sells into that are gas cars, especially if the robo taxi comes out or the cheaper vehicle comes out in the Cybertruck, then it's the the uh the circle has gotten much bigger, the pie is much much larger. So within that context, I uh, there's so many gas cars to sell against. And if there's going to be a lot of government incentives, especially starting in 2023 in the U.S., that's going to drive a lot of the consumer um, focus towards that technology. And if you're somebody who's looking to buy a car, period, even if, even if we're saying 50% less buyers in 2023 versus 2022, that's still a 30 million or 40 million people in the world that will buy a new car in 2023. And if the world governments are saying buy EV, why would Tesla suffer from that? Help me help yeah. me understand that. No, it, it's it's a great point. And this is this is something um where like uh I've been holding contradictory views in my own head for a long time on, on this because um like the, I mean, the high level, you know, the, the kind of Tesla Q narrative, uh, which has some weaknesses, which we'll go into, but is that automotive is highly cyclical. Tesla's no different just because they're an EV company. Plus on top of that, they're selling premium priced cars. Uh, and those are going to get the hit the hardest in, um, uh, you know, in a, in a recession. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's say we've got a, a, a severe recession and Tesla's got capacity to build over 2 million vehicles a year. Um, but, you know, demand, at least at the current price points, is only for, I pick a number, like 1.2 million or something like that. Um, then you've got to, like, cut prices until you get to the point where, you know, you, your demand matches your your supply. Uh, and so how, how low do they have to cut? And so if they have to cut enough that their margins go down to, say, industry average, and they've got like a, a 10% gross margin instead of the 30% gross margins we were seeing earlier this year, 
um, then valuation gets hit real hard. Um, they probably have to pause future factory expansions, um, you know, multiple compression, all that, all that bad stuff. So, um, like that's, uh, a realistic outcome. I think it's unlikely, but I, I, I understand the logic of it. Um, but to, to your point, like overall, and, and this is something that, you know, JPR 007 has been tweeting forever is that like, you've got, you know, Right now, to your point, what it, a couple of years ago, it was like 99% ICE vehicle sales. And then those are, I think everybody, almost everybody agrees that those are going to really dwindle down over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Pick your time horizon. Um, and it's going to be replaced by EVs. So how quickly does that transition happen? And at what price point, um, especially in a recession, like that's when like all these variables just get like so complicated to try to, to, to think through or to try to model out. Like if total automotive demand drops by... 25% next year, which is not unprecedented in a recession, uh, then uh, obviously that's going to hurt car companies, but then what percentage of that is EVs? So like, can the total quantity of EVs actually rise in an environment where, you know, overall vehicle sales are down 25%? Yeah, I think that's possible, but it's it's also not a given. So it's like, you've got like, like this Monte Carlo situation where like, okay, the total automotive sales are flat or they're, you know, down 25% or they're down 10% or something like that. And then what happens to the EVs in that scenario? Like, do they still rise or do they drop proportionally or do they drop, but only like half as much as ICE vehicle sales? Like, we don't know the answer because we're in a really unique point in automotive history on this transition right now. Um, but there, there was an interesting conversation Emmett and I had um, with uh, Jordan Gisagi from The Limiting Factor and then uh, Josh, uh, he's Shut on Twitter up. at Josh's Blonde. Um, but we were talking about, you know, this this whole transition and how their view is really that, you know, that we're going to be supply limited on materials like for this this decade. And so even in a, a scenario where like overall automotive demand drops, their their thinking is like the the demand for EVs is going to be so high. And the supply of EVs is going to be so heavily constrained that whoever's got, you know, the access to most of the, the materials is going to have just like ridiculous pricing power. So even if Tesla can't expand to 20 million vehicles by 2030, which they both don't think Tesla can actually get to those numbers. They think that's just like kind of pie in the sky and there's just not enough lithium. There's not enough like processing capability. There's not enough new mines coming online and with the lead times and the permits and everything, it just, they don't think it can get there. So, but maybe at 20 million or maybe at 10 million units by 2030, um, then the, um, just with the fact that they'll have like total EV supplies is probably, or demand is probably going to be well north of 10 million. And if the other people are not moving as aggressively to secure their supply chains, maybe all the other auto companies to combine can only get another 10 million or something like that. And so then Tesla's got 50% market share and like huge pricing power. So their, their mindset was like margins could actually improve drastically from here just because Tesla's moving the most aggressively to secure the supply chain. So, so that's a kind of interesting scenario where like top line growth is a lot more limited than people think. But um, because of Tesla's like pricing power and, and, and just the fact that they're securing um, the supplies, they actually think that there could be really strong pricing power. So that's that's an interesting thought. I'm not sure that I 100% buy into, into that thesis, but... Um, you know, talking about these, this Monte Carlo simulation of all the different potential outcomes over the next couple of years, that's one that I think does, it could also pan out. Mm. Fascinating stuff. I think the, the point around Tesla's margins increasing 
into the future is such a foreign and weird way of think about Tesla's long-term growth. Because every in every other sort of um, I don't know business example you could ever th- think up of, that the more you go into call it mass market or the the bigger your volumes, your margins come down because of price sensitivity. But the lever that Tesla has of well, we're just going to make costs go down faster is bananas. <laughs> it's completely bananas and so foreign, you know. And I wonder. I wonder if some a lot of the doubt from that respect is because they've already made quote unquote so much improvement from that perspective that it there's some sort of dissonance that says well like how much lower can you go how much lower can you go and I think back to the time when you know when I used to be at at Tesla and I walked the Fremont factory uh, multiple times uh, I knew how you know by the, by the time I left the company was in 2021 was quite profitable they, they were turning out profits and profits. And I still remember walking around Fremont, which was their first factory. And this is no shade on Elon or anybody. But I was like, God, there's a lot of costs in here that could be taken out. <laughs> yeah. God, there's so much cost in here that can be taken out. And no disrespect. It's just literally how it was. you know. And I yeah. think everybody at Tesla would agree because you think about how the factory is built. It's like this weird, there's 17 different you know, segments of the factory that are not... The flow of product, they showed this in slides before, it's just weird. You know, it's like, it's it's not a straight line like Shanghai is, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and Berlin and Austin are not even close to being rammed. So that you haven't fully realized the cost savings from that perspective. And then think about once Fremont goes into that model where, uh, you know, they either <laughs> freaking tear it down and build a new one, or they use that structure for products that don't necessarily that aren't dependent on such a big footprint to be built, maybe like the bot and other products, potentially maybe an HVAC for homes that take all the car production out of Fremont over time. And they plop them into these different factories that are much more streamlined and where the, where the flow of material is conducive to building a very, very cheap car. And you're not really dependent on uh, conveying that stuff around and you can optimize the space to ensure the product is built as efficiently as possible, blah, blah, like a lot of second order effects from that, right? Um, That is also very, you know, sort of add into the uh, conversation you were just going through. That's another variable that gets lost is that there's still a significant percentage of Tesla's total uh, production capacity that comes out of their first generation factory that is kind of a mess compared to a Shanghai or an Austin or a Berlin. And again, no disrespect. Like, they're still, and yeah. that kind of a mess is way more profitable than the state of the RGM factory. Y'all, yeah. like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in you know? Berlin and Austin are still ramping too. So those are actually lower margin, at least in last exactly. quarter, than, than Fremont was. But you know, it's it's such a good point, um, you know, because I, I still talk to short sellers um, and they've requested anonymity. But, you know, one one short seller I was talking to recently, he's like his mantra was just like, look, their margins are going to go away because capitalism kind of has this history of, you know, margin out margin outperformance will revert to the mean. So, you know, like Tesla's margins are not going to be sustainable at these levels because the other companies, they're not dumb. They're going to come in and they're going to like find, okay, gigacasting is great. We'll implement gigacastings and you're starting to see some of that now. Um, and so his, his point was like, they're going to get, you know, just competed away and chipped and eventually, you know, GM's margin or whoever's Toyota, they're all going to have the same gross margins as Tesla. I think that really overlooks, you know, how important the cultural piece of Tesla is. And just look at the decisions that are being made right now. Like Tesla is completely redesigning factories, like from the ground up, like Shanghai was like 
just completely rethought. A lot of the learnings from that are now in Berlin and Austin. And like, you look at what GM is doing right now. Look what Ford is doing. Ford is like retrofitting the River Rouge factory, which was like literally the original Henry Ford built this factory. And now they're, they're making electric trucks there. And like, okay, no disrespect. Good. I'm glad that they're, you know, moving into the future, but they're not going to be making the margins that Tesla's making. Well, they're not going to be making the margins on a uh, F-150, apples truck, apples. which is like a premium, you know, like, I don't know what those go for, but probably close to six figures, I would think. Um, but their gross margins, according to what reading between the lines of Jim Farley, are like negative. Um, so meanwhile, Tesla can produce a Model 3, sell it for like $43,000 at a 20% margin out of Fremont, which kind of sucks as a factory, to your point. Um, so it's just, it's like a whole different level. GM's doing the same thing. You know, like they, they've got this um, factory that they've had forever in Hamtramck, which is just outside of, of Detroit. And they just renamed the factory and they're calling it like factory one or something really, I forget exactly like that. And it's like, okay, you're retrofitting a factory and renaming it. That doesn't improve the process flows. Like tell me how that's going to, yeah. you know, make positive or like 25% gross margins or even what's like the, what's the trajectory to get to 25% EV margins out of this factory when your volume, you know, expectations are like 50,000 units a year. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And so like it, when I start seeing some, you know, announcements for like a radically re redesigned uh, factory and the engineers are actually making the decisions and the, the designers are sitting in a the factory floor with the actual workers like then I'll, I'll have a, like a little give a little bit more credit to the capability of these companies to compete on margin but like to me it's just like the theory of things should converge over time makes sense but when you look at the details I don't think that works at least in the medium term yeah and, and like my, my counter to that would be okay so how come that doesn't hold true for Apple right yeah. Okay. Two oh, different sure. segments, but like Apple's margins are bananas compared to every single other cell phone manufacturer. And yes, these are thousand dollar consumer products, but these used to be 200 back in the day, yeah. 150, a flip phone. Wasn't that expensive? Yeah. The, 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 an individual has, has changed the, if you think about the, the cell phone market, they five X more than five X how much they were willing to pay for a product that was offering a specific use case, but evolved over time. Most people buy a phone because of, you know, used to buy a phone because you could talk to somebody when you're on the beach. But now nobody talks to each other on the phone. We text and we go on Twitter and we go on YouTube and other things as well. <laughs> you know, like yeah. there's a lot of things you do on a phone. So to me, that is a much more, that's a much better sort of, um, it's much more analogous to the Tesla story than the the car industry or any other industry that's that's thought up within that context that there are outliers there are exceptions to the rule and the and the consumer behavior that applies to an apple to me is much more analogous to tesla than anything else in this world it it really is to me and you yeah. you layer on the saas portion of it too right and and the app store Te apple has the same exact dynamic that uh tesla has as well full self driving is a software as a service you just download it and boom you go um yeah. it's it's so counterintuitive to i and I, I and this is where i can um be very uh i can sympathize with shorts uh, or people that think that this is not a long-term story that's going to be valued at this perspective because you have so many data points from the past that will tell you otherwise but i think once once the Proof, like once you start digging into how Tesla is capturing the supply chain and just how much effort is being put into the core engineering and the core 
uh, problem solving and how do we ensure we have the lowest cost humanly possible, that's where that's where the story changes because nobody else, especially entrenched players, knows how to do that. They just yeah. don't know how to do that. It's not part of their culture, like you said. And yeah. that's what we're betting on, you know? For sure. You know, and it's so interesting because we've been talking the last 20 minutes <clears throat> only about how ridiculously good Tesla is at optimizing costs, um, you know, and scaling, you know, production at a, at a ridiculous rate. And like to your point about Apple, yeah, like 15 years ago when they introduced the iPhone, who would have thought that people would be willing to pay a thousand dollars for an iPhone and then like pay a bunch more on like subscriptions for like cloud storage and all the different like nickels and dimes that, that Apple gets you for that you're kind of happy to pay because it's just such a good product. Um, but Twitter like, blue, baby. <laughs> but Tesla, like we haven't even talked about FSD yet. And and like right. Tesla has the, the potential to completely change like the, the economics of car ownership, like completely. And even if it's, I've always thought of this as like a two-tiered approach. One is just like, it's a great ADAS system and you get a little bit of a higher take rate and that really pads the margins. I mean, you know, with, with how much they're selling this for, if you double take rate, that's going to like explode your, your gross margin. Um, but, uh, and even that the take rate would only be like 20%. So like you can run crazy scenarios where it's like 50% FSD take rate. And like Tesla doesn't look like a car company anymore. It doesn't look like a manufacturing company anymore. Even though they're like world-class at manufacturing this stuff, they're also world-class at having the potential to sell like 100% margin software on top of this hardware platform that they've built. Um, let alone the potential that they actually achieve autonomy and, and can sell robo-taxis. Um, so like, it's just the the runway of advantages they have is is why you know in the in the midst of this storm and, and you know getting battered as an investor and Elon tweeting all this stuff I'm like okay well when I look at the fundamentals and I try to attack it all the time from you know to make sure I'm not just drinking the Kool Aid um, but the fundamentals are so ridiculously strong and I don't know who can compete with them uh, when you look at the supply chain when you look at their manufacturing prowess when you look at their uh, technology, their software, their AI team, like, my God, they've got, they've got advantages everywhere you look. It's, it's just, it's mind blowing. So yeah, I'm, I'm still so, uh, optimistic as an investor, but it, I don't know when the market's gonna, gonna wake up again. And, and you, and you put that in contrast of him getting booed in San Francisco yesterday. Like this, this is why this, that this time is so freaking confusing. It's so confusing because you just, like you said, we talked for the last 20, 25 minutes on Tesla's incredible ability to execute on cost and to just be masterful from that perspective. Oh, and by the way, they have the best EV product out as well in tandem for that. So they don't only have the, the, the cheapest cost to produce. They also have arguably the best product out on the market. So you have those two mm -hmm. things. And then you got Elon getting booed in San Francisco. It's so weird. It's yeah. such a such a weird time, and and I can understand why. Like it's almost like there there is division within the the Tesla investing community because of that. Because because it's just a the story is so good. It's so good that when there's something that's perceived as being hurtful, either true or not, is uh it's tough to reconcile because it's like, come on, bro, it's so good. Like, why are you yeah. doing this? Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. It's really fascinating. Um, uh, any other thoughts before we do some uh, some Q and A here? What, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, no, I mean we can 
Q4, you know, we didn't go into all the details of that, but you know, we're we're kind of just guessing at this point. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think their their margins are are probably going to improve this quarter. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, let, let's just do some Q and A. Sure. Okay. So we're going to try this for the first time ever. So it could be a massive success or a colossal disaster. So this is what we're going to do. Producer wife, by the way, shout out producer wife. Thank you very much. You've done great so far um, by just listening to us talk. We are going to try and bring in questions from spaces into YouTube. Oh my goodness. So this is how it's going to work. Uh, if you have a question on Twitter spaces, request um, the mic and I will bring you into spaces. And then once I do that, producer wife will share a screen with Twitter on it with sound. And in theory, our YouTube audience should be able to hear the question that's being asked on spaces. And then everybody should be able to listen to our question, our answer or thought, whatever, whatever the, the, the person on Twitter has. So um, let's see what happens. Cross your fingers. Okay, here we go. So producer wife, I'm going to bring somebody up on stage and then I'm going to throw it over to them. And once that happens, uh, please share their screen with audio with Twitter on it, and uh, we'll see what happens. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and bring on uh, Ashok, um, who may or may not be the Ashok we're thinking of. It's not, <laughs> I, it could... I had to check, I did a double take. Damn it. <laughs> it's so okay, like... we still love Ashok. All right, all right, Ashok, uh, go ahead and uh, produce a wife, please share the screen with audio on, on uh, YouTube. Ashok, um, who may or may not be the Ashok. Ashok, can you hear us, sir? It's not. I, I had to check. I did a double Damn take. There, Can uh, you hear him, Matt? He, he's still a listener, it looks right, like. Right, oh, maybe uh, maybe he removed himself. Okay, let's try again. Um, stop sharing the screen. Perfect. Yeah, so so the one thing to keep in mind is um, as we're sharing the screen, we got to make sure we unshare it while we're talking. Otherwise, the audience will hear double. So we're going to bring in Colin. So let's see. All right, Colin, you are live on Spaces. Uh, go ahead and ask your question or share your thought. And producer wife, go ahead and share the screen. Um, as we're sharing the screen, we got to make sure we unshare it while we're talking. Otherwise, the audience will hear double. So we're going to bring in Colin. So let's see. All right, Colin, you are live on Spaces. Uh, go ahead and ask your question or share your thought. And producer wife, go ahead and share the screen. Hi, uh, thanks for uh, letting me speak here. Um, great Spaces so far. Um, my question is, I don't know, just with Elon and Twitter, I'm sure we've probably already discussed this. I came in a little bit late, so I don't know if you guys have already deeply uh, talked about this, so I apologize. But um, just like I feel like I'm looking at Twitter, I've never seen so much uh, hate towards not just Elon. Like we're all used to like the normal – uh, hate when it comes to you know Tesla Q and just promoting all the FUD, but like I think at, at this point it's like broadened out to people that are even outside of just even in the finance like uh, community. So I guess my question is like, in the short term, I can see it maybe affecting some sales, but how do you guys see it like in the next two to three years? Do you think it'll be one of those things where you know you won't even remember what you you know what was going on in the news two years ago? Um, we might only because we're heavily, you know, following Elon and Tesla, but like, I think the majority of people might forget. Great people, question. You think Thank you. Um, one of those things let's go. I'm going to stop, stop sharing the screen. Okay. First time we've ever done this on YouTube. So if you are, uh, uh, seeing some weirdness, it's part of the game. We'll figure it out. Um, 
let's go ahead, Matt. What, what what are your thoughts here? We spoke about it at length at the beginning, but maybe a yeah, a refresher. You know, maybe just the the high level summaries. You know, we think you. Far as I've mentioned the the kind of Pareto principle that like yeah he probably is alienating you know uh, some amount of people but from our point of view it's, it's maybe like ten percent on the left and ten percent on the right or, or maybe it's like eighteen percent on the left right now and two percent on the right I, I don't know what the mix is but the vast majority of of the car buying public is that you know eighty percent in the middle that um, is going to buy a car based on the specs based on the performance based on the price like all the things that you normally you know you care about as, as a car buyer and you might think oh yeah like elon he's the guy that overpaid for twitter right or you may have some per- perception of him but it doesn't influence the car buying decision so i think f- from our point of view um you know it what we were saying at least what i was saying earlier was um you know it, it there's there's potential that you are alienating a couple buyers on the left but maybe you're also ingratiating yourself to some some buyers on the right who maybe wouldn't have considered you otherwise uh but in the grand scheme of things i think macro is going to really over like outweigh any uh, like you know, people who are buying or not buying for political reasons. So I, I think it's a, a smaller consideration in the face of potentially a recession. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where we've, uh, I think that's where my head is at too. You know, it's, that's, that's sort of the thought process that I'm going through is there is a chance that, um, a lot of this is just noise. And the most of the people that are really worried about the story, um, or most of the people that are going to buy a Tesla don't care about the noise (laughs) and it's just going to be a cost benefit analysis into their lives. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Colin. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and remove you from speaker here. Thank you so much for your question. And uh, let's bring on the next uh, person. Thank you so much. Um, let's do Ashok next. All right. Ashok, can you hear us? Uh, go ahead. Oh, yes, sir, I can. Bring on the next uh, person. Thank you so much. Um, let's do Ashok next. All right. Ashok, can you hear us? Uh, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Oh, yes, sir, I can. Yes, uh, yes. Hi. Sorry, I think the first time um, um, I was on mute. Uh, my question is the, the stock right now, the way it's performing. To your question. Uh, I think it's not. I think for me, the the, there's two things going on. I think there is a variable of, um, man. There, there is a there is a piece where Tesla, for say from 2019 to 2021, 
was very much valued um, quite aggressively. And a lot of people would say, well, that's warranted. And some of people would say, well, it was overrun. You know, like it went too fast, too quick, too fast, or too high, too fast. And now, now that we're in a bear market, companies that have a multiple because of growth are going to get punished quite a bit. And then you have the layer on top of that of there is a, I think, an investing community and institutionals and retail and so on and so forth that are probably afraid to dip their toes in the water with Tesla specifically because there is a level of risk and uncertainty with um, with the company uh, as far as the leader speaking his mind and doing what he does. So that definitely is a, is a variable. But I think ultimately, the, the bear market, macro, the Fed, it, my gut tells me it's like 80 to 90% of what's truly hurting the stock. And then there is a you know ten to twenty percent impact from the you know the other stuff that we talked about. And uh, if the way we're thinking about it is correct, this should be a short to medium term. If the stock market is really worried about uh, performance of the company and uh, the, the the its ability to generate returns for investors, this will all solve itself in time. As long as the brand perception uh, that sort of Elon theoretically is potentially either harming or impacting in some way doesn't derail the long-term story. And my thought process says that that's not the case because I think most people don't really care about the stuff that we are really focused on. And it just, again, becomes a question of how what's the value to cost ratio of the product? And if the value to cost ratio of the product, if the product itself is super profitable, then people invest in companies that make a lot of money. And that that's just the thing. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, I think very clearly the 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 fundamentals have been disconnected from um, you know, the the stock price. Uh how long that continues is a legitimate question, I think. Um, you know, there is a little bit of of legit, legitimate concern, I think, woven in there of, you know, what's going on in China, like that I think if there was no China concerns whatsoever, and it was just like very clear that there was demand and long lead times, and you know the Tesla China website said you know deliveries in Q2 because the backlog is so long, I, I think that would definitely have the stock above 200 or something like that. So I don't want to say that this is all you know kind of related to just Elon being being Elon, um, but I, I, I do think uh, it's it's very severely disjointed from reality from from my point of view right now. So. I think, but that's just the sort of thing that, you know, it's the old Warren Buffett quote that, you know, the stock stock market in the short term is a voting machine and in the long term, it's a weighing machine. So, you know, we'll see what Tesla actually posts over the next, you know, four, eight, 12 quarters. And, um, you know, if, if we're right on kind of our view on where things are going, then, you know, I think there's not investment advice, but it seems a lot more likely than not that uh, we'll have a, a revaluation upward. Nice. Thanks, Matt. Um, unfortunately, that's going to be our last question on Twitter Spaces. We're having a lot of challenges with delay between the feed of Twitter Spaces and YouTube. So what we're going to do is we're going to move to the Q&A over to YouTube. So if you have any questions, please drop them in the comments section on YouTube. If you uh, would like to drop a question for this as well on YouTube, go ahead and uh, click on my profile. You should be able to find my YouTube channel in the description uh, of my profile on Twitter, and we can take it from there. So let's go ahead and uh, ask your questions in the comments section. Producer wife, if uh, you can take us back to the perfect. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and thank you, thank you for uh, trying this out on the fly, everybody. Uh, 
this is a uh, we tried it doesn't seem like it's working the way we want it to. We'll brainstorm of ways on how to make this better. Maybe we just can't do a Q&A session on spaces while we're on YouTube. Um, we'll have to think through it a little bit more. So go ahead and type question before your question on YouTube and then drop it down in the comment section. And then producer wife will bring up only the best ones. Only the best ones. Okay. Um, from Hadouken. Look, perfect. $5 super chat. Thank you so much. Hadouken. Street Fighter. When do you foresee? <laughs> That's way better. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Emmett and Dave Lee need to like these. Apparently, both of them are crazy Street Fighter like um, gamers. So yeah. I think we should live stream those two fighting with each other, and they need to put a bet on like the charity that they want to like, and the, and the winner gets to like I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But it needs to happen. That would I'm be good board. content. Yes. Come on, Dave and Emmett. When when do you foresee supercharging network needing overhaul? V fours out soon. Version fours out soon. Only some cars support V three, and only so many S charger stalls. Thank you so much, Hadouken, for the question. Um, how are you thinking about this, Matt? Um, I mean, it's it's like a the, the supercharger network's going to be a continuous improvement, like forever. I think. I mean, if EV adoption really is going to go to you know ten or twenty million units by by twenty thirty. Um, then like you're going to need way more stalls. You're going to need them to be faster. And so in my mind, I think Tesla's approach is the right one. They're, they're uh, adding new, uh, a lot of new superchargers every year. And then they're also up upgrading the existing ones. So, you know, I don't, it, in terms of like an overhaul, I think that sounds like a, we're going to invest, you know, like X billion of dollars this year to, you know, modernize everything. But I think the way that Tesla has been doing it is actually a pretty smart where you just, you know, kind of continually um improve what, what you have out there but i am curious to see whatever this v4 thing is because that that was really kind of messing with my brain when you're talking about a one megawatt charger so I, I can't wait to see what that looks like yeah um i i think it will need an overhaul at some point at least part of it really where my head goes to is like okay once tesla semi is out and once Cybertruck is out, which theoretically, from the hints that we got in the Tesla Semi presentation, Cybertruck would be able to take advantage of that charging technology as well. Um, you know, there's going to be a segment of the network that needs to be upgraded. But I think ultimately, if you think about what are the use cases for Tesla today, the current charging network seems more than adequate to uh, support EVs in the world. Uh, and uh, it's just a matter of, okay, just make it better. <laughs> yeah. And then it's it's not super critical, but I think it's going to yet again be another variable that's going to be, yeah, Tesla does this better than everybody else, So and there's no question, and it just becomes a moat like other things have in the past, in my opinion. Uh, all right, next question. Uh, Terry off. Question, is it possible that Elon wants to see the Tesla price fall to prevent his employees from retiring? <laughs> Well, damn it, Elon. Um, I can take this one first. I, I don't problem. think you did retire. I know. I'm sorry, bro. Like, I'm sorry, Elon, for uh yeah, my bad. No. Um, I don't think I don't think that's how he thinks. I'm I'm sure there is a part of the variable that says, well, if our stock price goes way too high, way too fast, then there is gonna be a subset of the worker of the workers that will leave the company that otherwise would have brought a lot of value to Tesla. But I think about it from a total talent perspective. And Tesla is going to be able to have the talent at once at any time, at any point in time. And I, I really do think that people that really want to solve the biggest problems on earth want to work at companies like Tesla. And if there are people that retire, if 
fine. Just they can find better people. I'm sure my I'm sure there's a thousand people. I'm sure there's a million people out there that are better than I am and what I did that could go in there and make 10x the impact that I did. So I, I see it as a as a non-issue. And I think that's how Elon thinks about it. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, he did have a comment. I forget in which interview this was, but uh, in the last couple of months about how it was like a mild problem that, you know, you had like a bunch of millionaires and some of them ended up leaving. Didn't sound like it was, you know, like a catastrophic issue by any means. Um, so I would like, I don't think he actually wants to see the, the, the price fall to, you know, like keep employees around. Because, I mean, it's it's two sides of the same coin. If he really does believe that the company is going to 10x from here, well, then all the stock awards that he's granting to new employees at this level, like they're going to be all the more likely to retire sooner from having gotten in into the company at this low stock price. So to me, like I, I agree. I don't think he's really thinking about it this way. Next question. Uh, Tony, he asks really good questions. Thank you, Tony. Uh, question. Do you think uh, Tom, Tom Zhu, how do you say it? Yeah, let's go with that. Tom, Tom Zhu. <laughs> Do you think Tom's presence in Fremont Berlin could be a sign that those factors are getting ready to mega ramp production of LFPM 3MYs? What do you think, Matt? Um, you know, to, to me, his his presence is probably has more to do with his changing position within the company as opposed to changing technology within the specific factories. Um, I don't think it's like they would bring him in just to help with the LFP ramp, although, you know, it wouldn't hurt if they if they were starting to do that. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm not reading that much into it, but I'm curious what you think. I don't have a strong opinion either way. Uh, oops. I meant Austin, not Berlin. Okay. Um, no problem. Uh, I think, um, I think his presence is just a, I think it's positive from the standpoint that Tesla China is the place where a lot of the ideals that Tesla has from a cultural perspective of innovation and fast change and moving forward shanghai is like a is a shining example of the positives of that because you th think about how it ramped think about how res resilient it, it is within the context of how difficult it has been to operate in china in the last couple of years because of covid and then think about the amount of uh margin it's added to the company from its from its efficiency so to me it's just how how tesla operates they try to find the best talent anywhere and they try to take best practices from anywhere and applying them to those places. I don't know if it's directly tied to the mega ramp of LFPs. I just think it's Shanghai is really good at what they do. What can we do in Austin, Berlin, and Fremont that uh, we've learned in Shanghai that we can apply here, plus all the new ideas we're going to get from Austin, Berlin, and Fremont. And that is, from my experience working at the company, that's the kind of dynamic that made magic, that made magic happen. You take your learnings, you put it in a place that's brand new, and then uh, you're like, okay, but we can do this even better now because of yeah. because of what you've shown us here. So it's just great practice. It's great business practice. And I encourage every business in the world to do that. Just take your best talent and put them in places that could benefit from it and leave it wide open for the best ideas to come forward. It's just good business practice. Um, let's do a couple more. Uh, Michael, question. How big can Tesla insurance become would they ever get into home insurance, renters, et cetera, so they can bundle insurance packages with their cars, robo-taxi? Maybe this is a better question for you, Matt. But for me, um, I just think of Tesla insurance as a car only or product only, whatever they release. And over time, as those products become safer and safer, 
and have a, a lower risk of having some sort of unintended consequences, which is really what insurance is for, then it becomes a smaller percentage percentage of Tesla's. I don't know. It just it's just not that big of a deal. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I, I used to just think that insurance would be like a nothing. They would they would price it at like a zero percent gross margin or like zero percent operating margin, let's say, um, and it would be part of the value proposition to expand ownership of, of the vehicle. So it's like, oh, not only do you get the vehicle, but you know, the, the, you, get, you get a really good rate on insurance. Um, I, I've started thinking they they might actually have some somewhat meaningful margins out of insurance but i think certainly right now it's it's in the small phase it's not available in very many states um and in terms of getting into home insurance and renters like i don't think they would do that necessarily maybe you know like well into the 2030s they might do that but in my mind what makes a lot of sense and where i think they're going to go with tesla energy long term is you have solar you have ev charging you have um a home furnace, like a home HVAC system that's all like electric yeah. induction. And uh, you could maybe even have like a cook stove or something like that. But then you can manage that whole system uh, to optimize for pricing in wholesale markets. And then you can also bundle that with all the other homes in the area and, and have like the world's best virtual power plant and actually access in, in real time pricing. They're a long way from achieving that goal. But in my mind, that's like from my experience in the energy side is like that is the holy grail is like real time control of like pricing or of uh, production and demand on a uh, distributed basis um, where you're you're having like uh, very great signals of when you should turn on your HVAC and everything like that um, in, in, down to like the minute level. It's a very complicated problem to solve. Uh, but that to me makes more sense with their kind of long-term vision than, you know, going further vertically integrating into insurance. Got it. Um, let's do one more. Da, 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 da. Merlin, question: Could the renewed Model Three become the twenty-five thousand dollar car? Um, I I don't think so at all. I think the Model Three has too many legacy components that make it so that it can't it can't be as efficiently built as humanly possible, even with front and rear castings, even with a uh, structural battery pack. I think the um, the type of manufacturing processes for RoboTaxi to achieve the cost per mile they're thinking of. Is going to have the next generation of the improvements and for you to be able to rework the model three to do that you're better off just starting a brand new line than to try and rework your current line because you just have a lot of inherent inefficiencies and then the other thing the other thing to think about is model three is really just being built in fremont and like i said before the fremont layout and the way that factory was initially built when toyota and gm owned it Numni, yeah, uh, i think it was united motor yeah. manufacturing inc that's right. Um, that is, it's just not conducive to building the cheapest car humanly possible. Um, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Model 3 is just, it just costs too much. I mean, even if you really stripped it down and did like a, like a one casting to, to do the whole thing, uh, I, I don't think that's enough. Um, you know, I, I think, and, and I think Franz has even hinted at this, that, you know, the, the product that he's most excited about is the one that he's working on now. So to me, I, I think I'm kind of in the camp and I don't know, not everyone agrees with this, but that the, the $25,000 car is actually the same as the robo taxi. So they won't actually sell it for 25,000, but it will so change the overall economics of car ownership and, you know, the transportation cost per mile that, you know, it will effectively, you know, undercut everything else, even at really fantastic gross margins. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Let's call it there for Q&A. Uh, we're almost two hours in. Thank you, everybody else who has uh, added Super Chats. Super thanks, all that good stuff that um, we uh, we didn't get to. Unfortunately, uh, producer wife can bring those up. Uh, yeah, thank you all very much for, for your contributions. Really appreciate you all. Uh, Matt, any, any sort of uh, last thoughts, any sort of closing thoughts here before we wrap the sucker up? Yeah, I know. I mean, it was a great conversation. It's a, it's a tough time to be a Tesla bull, honestly. And, you know, I think it's, it's been hard to see some of the stuff that, that Elon's been doing. You know, I think the, the one thing I want to say just in all the chaos last week and the, this, I think some of the flack that you and I have got for taking what I think is, is kind of like moderate approaches to, to all the controversy is like, let's just try to create space for a debate, you know, like, I, no, I was not saying like a buyback was like the cure all for the stock, but I got accused of that. I know you had, you know, kind of similar things. So, you know, I think the more we can just listen with an open mind and, you know, be open to uh, criticisms of Elon's actions and not just say Elon sucks because stock price is down, but if there's actually thoughtful criticisms of, hey, hey I think we could do more to communicate better with the company as, as our shareholders, or, you know, I think now might be a time for the board to consider some of the feedback from our number one retail investor, Kogan Leo. Like, you know, I, I think it's just really important for us to be open-minded, for us to actually have this first principles approach and, and not to just be overly dogmatic in our optimism. So that's the the last kind of thought. I think it's probably what, what prompted this this conversation to begin with. So that's, that's awesome. What I'd say. I couldn't agree more. I think in the spirit of free speech and the spirit of what uh, I think Elon's trying to build with Twitter and really discourse in general, this is what I'm most excited about is that I I feel comfortable in having a platform where I can sit down and talk about any and all ideas, even in our own little bubble that may make people uncomfortable or may 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 make people, uh, I don't know, uh, just be angry with me for whatever reason. I, I think that's a great thing because the way I view it is how do you maximize the flow of ideas and thoughts so that we can arrive to the true end goal of moving society forward. And I want to do everything I can to be part of whatever that solution is. And I'm thankful to have people like you. And I'm thankful to have the community and audience that I receive. It's freaking crazy that there's a thousand people on YouTube watching this right now. Like to <laughs> me, that that's mind blowing to me. And there's people on spaces listening to this and uh, whatever else. But I think ultimately that's what's most important to sitting down and discussing ideas and hearing all sides and um, doing so in a respectful and constructive manner, even if we're wrong, even if we are, you know, maybe we don't know anything and we're just speaking out of our asses. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the whole point. Time. So if, if we're exactly. that wrong, like, let's figure it out yeah. and be like, oh, gosh, remember that time when we thought Tesla was going to the moon? Wow, how can I yeah. make sure I don't make that mistake again? Like, exactly. No, I don't, clearly don't think that's the case. But you know, the yeah. the goal of anything, any aspect of your life, is to try to be learning and to try to move forward. And I think when I've seen some some things that have made me think parts of the community might be getting a little kind of dogmatic on you know any sort of criticism of anything. It just means either you're yeah. an idiot or uh, you don't believe in the mission or you know any one of a, a number of kind of accusations that's getting thrown around. And I just don't think that's that's helpful. Sure, I agree. And, I, and, and again, I, I support folks being able to uh, spouse those ideas and push them forward. Uh, but in the same token, I think it's also extremely valuable to be able to have those open conversations yeah. and not just saying, hey, like, just just be quiet, you know? It's, uh, yeah. So uh, 
Thank you all so much for coming in and listening to us to do randos talk about Tesla. <laughs> and uh, really appreciate you guys. Love you so much. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Matt, thank you so much, man. Seriously, I love talking to you. You're one of the one of my favorite people, bro. You really are. I, and, I, and I really feel a kinship with you. And I just I'm so appreciative that you made the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And I think uh, when I was down there in Austin, I told producer wife that I had a man crush on you. So the fact that she left me on the channel. <laughs> I think that's a good sign that, you know, she doesn't feel too threatened. That's, that's good. That's right. <laughs> that's freaking hilarious. Always a pleasure. Farzad. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, producer wife. Thank you so much. You did a great job today. Even though the Twitter spaces thing was difficult to manage. Thank you so much for being so, uh, look at that. She's right there. Yeah. You deserve those claps. Oh, and, uh, yeah, please. Quick, quick thing. So I couldn't remember what the, the press, the fourth estate. That's the phrase I was trying to remember earlier in the, in the conversation. Oh, got the press it. Is supposed to be the fourth estate and my, Sleep deprived brain couldn't come up with that. So thank you to uh, Luigi ZHP for, for correcting me on that. Nice. Dude, that was like an hour and a half ago. I, <laughs> I love that. That must be on a lag. Yeah, it must be on a lag. Thank you, everybody. Happy Monday. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody. Thanks.